0: but there's something big that's missing. And in their case, the big is essentially a foundation of literally hundreds or thousands of people who will pay them minimum five, 10, $15 for their book. And out of that sum of customers, there will be people who pay them a heck of a lot more than that.
1: what's up everyone i'm so excited to share today's interview with you with joshua lysek joshua is a ghostwriter a ghostwriter as he explains early in the interview assists other notable personalities celebrities icons with writing a book or other form of written media and Joshua has not only been prolific, but extremely successful and has been doing it for a decade. So there is a ton in this interview about building a business, about the power of writing to transform your career and how he's helped so many of his clients do that. I know that you'll find it valuable. I won't waste any more time. Here is Joshua Lysek. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Joshua, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Aaron,
0: I'm stoked to be here today. Let's do it.
1: So the number one question, there was only one question I could start this thing off with as I was thinking about uh, talking with you. And it is, imagine normal times when we're at, you know, copious amounts of large social gatherings, maybe you're introvert. you don't do that often, but when you happen to find yourself in those situations, how often do you have to explain to someone what ghostwriting is?
0: 97% of the time.
1: Okay, and how do you go about doing that?
0: I explain it like this, Aaron. I say, ghostwriting is like acting in print. It's my job to portray the author, the client, the creator, the blogger, in their words, using their words, with their stories and their ideas, such that what I write for them, they can email or publish or send or post or tweet, and it will sound like they wrote it, so that there is no tip-off that they used a ghostwriter. That is what a ghostwriter does. They are such that no one can tell they existed. And I've been doing that since 2011. So 10 years, Aaron, I have been the guy behind the scenes that's been writing books, that's been composing tweets, that's been publishing white papers, that's been uh, publishing stuff, everything from short form content to literally Wall Street Journal bestsellers. I've been the guy behind the scenes of it all.
1: And the most consistent reason that someone hires a ghostwriter, maybe maybe it's a pie chart. Maybe it's they're exceptionally busy and they're wearing 18,000 different hats and they don't have the time necessary to go do the writing, or perhaps they don't have the skill set in particular. Maybe, maybe they're an incredibly compelling communicator, but it's mostly through singing or through giving speeches or through whatever the thing may be. Um, are those kind of the two main drivers? What, am I, what might, might I be missing?
0: Yeah, yeah, you hire a ghostwriter, not necessarily because you can't write, but because you're over it. You say, screw it, I'm done. Writing takes too long. You're a busy person. You're a creator. You're a marketer. You're a course instructor. You're an author. You're an entrepreneur. You're a founder. And you have a voice that people respect. But you're in the place where it just doesn't make sense for you to do that anymore in a, in the same way that, yeah, you could probably do the books for your business. You could probably, you know, do your profit and loss statements, but does it make sense for you to do your books? Probably not. In the same way, probably doesn't make sense for you to do your book or your content or your emails anymore. I had a fellow just yesterday, a client, tell me, Joshua, I never thought I would be able to delegate content. Yet here I am, and I am bleep, happy that I'm able to delegate all of my content to you. His words, with a slight paraphrase, if you know what I mean.
1: Right on. Is there a hierarchy to the writing? So, so books have a, a widely held prestige factor. Um, but you could argue, you know, speechwriters are a form of ghostwriter, and you're talking about doing tweets. I'm sure that uh, you know, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, there are people that have other people write their blog posts for them, uh, so on and so forth. How do you think about the hierarchy of ghostwriting, or is that even like a an outdated model for thinking about that type of work? No,
0: oh, no, and that's a great way to put it. The longer it is, the harder it is. Three in the page book, thirty-minute speech, three hundred-word tweet thread. There's a bit of a difference. <laughs> It's a bit yeah. of a difference among those, uh, those three forms of content. Now, I have done the TEDx talks. I've done the books. I've done the tweet threads. Tweet threads, I can literally spring those together in a couple of hours for clients. But speeches, it's a couple of weeks. Books, few months. Few months. That said, one of the books that has sold the most copies that I ever wrote or ever sold rather, I wrote in about six weeks, six weeks. Do I do six-week books again? No, (laughs) I do not do (laughs) books in six weeks again. Although that is uh, quite profitable. I I don't, uh, I don't advertise, officially, I don't advertise that anymore.
1: Respect. So I had never thought about it as the acting analogy, but that's such a good one you know, there's a well-worn trope of the method actor who gets so, you know, thoroughly into the mind of that character so that they can be the best expression of themselves while they're in the role. How do you go about doing that? Because I would imagine there's, there's really only two ways to roll. Either you kind of have a fundamental archetype that you feel most comfortable being the voice for, or you really have to be disciplined about segmenting your time and your mental bandwidth. Cause if you're jumping from esteemed, elderly, um, experienced wisdom to energetic, frenetic, youthful passion, like like those are completely different communication styles.
0: That's true. That's true. However, however, at the point I'm at in my career right now, I've done enough of that voice switching that it feels normal, that it feels normal. So I'll have back-to-back conversations with clients. One of them will be a Generation X aged person who is aggressive, direct, assertive, no holds barred. And the next person will be calm, cool, collected boomer with significant wisdom to share. And it's easy to switch from character to character. And that's the way I put it. I think I told you, Aaron, I have some professional acting experience, a few years worth actually. And so the experience of going from one character to the next is not difficult, at least for me, because that's what you do when you are playing multiple characters. In scripted production, you must be each character 100% and only that character. You don't want to use the speaking style or communication style or nonverbal communication ticks of multiple characters across multiple characters because then it looks like you're playing the same character and you're a crappy actor. <laughs> you must play completely different characters. And so I just simply introduced that to the world of acting or rather introduced acting to the world of uh, ghostwriting. And um, it works. It works.
1: Yeah. So the other reason that I was... I guess it's, it's it's another version of the same reason. i was so excited to speak with you. Is it's hard to find a ghostwriter, right? Because mo- almost by definition, and and maybe I'm I'm dead wrong here, but most of the folks that have hired ghostwriters, the the I'm, I'm sure there are more than many of us could actually expect or count. Don't go around on their book tour being like, and I didn't write a single word. I had my ghostwriter carry the whole thing for me because there's a there's a mirage to keep up, so to speak, and you know for for whatever reason. I don't see many folks out there marketing themselves as ghostwriters. So it's it's this really kind of interesting Venn diagram where you've made that choice to be very public about this more kind of private role. I don't know if that's a a, a paradox or how you would how you would pull that apart.
0: That's a good way to put it. A good way to put it. Most of my clients, I'll tell you, they how do I put it have a non disclosure agreement, so they don't necessarily announce that I was their ghostwriter. However, I have had a few clients, a few clients who have moved past the non-disclosure agreement one way or another. Either they didn't have one from the beginning for whatever reason, or or they announced to the world that I was their ghostwriter. And when they do that, guess what? It's no longer confidential because they've announced publicly that I was their ghostwriter. Uh, This has been very fortunate for me, Aaron. I'll tell you that. This past, actually, probably the past nine months or so, like every three months, I've had a major client come forward and say, by the way, Joshua's my ghostwriter, and look at what he did for me. One of them was, hey, Joshua, publish this testimonial video on your YouTube channel in which I tell your potential clients that you made me a million dollars off of my book because a book came out, And I've been using it to convert readers into clients, just as you recommended me, recommended I do, Joshua. And I've made a million dollars in a year after the book came out. Pretty compelling testimonial. Another person will say, Joshua, publish this testimonial out there. I have a book that was ranked, voted, the number four best persuasion book of all time after Robert Cialdini. Who of course wrote Persuasion, the Psychology or Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion and Pre-Suasion. that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And then I've had a Wall Street Journal bestseller and I had a client who was the um, received the number one award for the best marketing book of 2020, which is last year now. So I guess you could say it's old news. But I, I bring that up because if you're as a ghostwriter, if your stuff is good enough. The non-disclosure agreements don't count (laughs) because the clients say, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to tell the world that you were my ghostwriter just because I'm so proud of the work that you did for me. It doesn't take anything away from the client. That's the interesting thing, Aaron. A lot of people think, well, 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 if I tell someone I work with a ghostwriter, then it's like I didn't actually write the book. BS, BS. Really what it does is it tells readers that you were smart enough to delegate the job of writing the book to someone else it's not a big deal it's not a big deal and now she had a ghostwriter so what so what someone else did all the hard work you were the smart one who sat back and told that person the story and uh, it was easy to get the book published you know
1: so on a sliding scale that that kind of brings up an interesting question on a sliding scale to what degree is this Transcription is, is kind of too harsh, but like a, I hear the story and then I just put it into a readable package versus I'm taking creative direction and I'm kind of steering this in some way, shape or form. Almost almost more like the what I would imagine the editor's role. Like how would you kind of piece that apart? Yeah, the editor, the editor. Um,
0: the way that I like to think about it is, yes, it's important to have an editor. Everybody needs an editor. Even my courses that I launch and I create, I have somebody who comes in behind me to give me feedback and make sure, Joshua, this is not a piece of crap. <laughs> Everybody needs to know, Aaron. It's true. It's true. But the ghostwriter does multiple forms of editing. They're not just coming in and fixing the typos. They're doing developmental editing. They're doing line editing. And they're doing copy editing. Okay. Okay. Developmental editing of a manuscript or a speech or an article is basically saying, have you said everything that needs to be said to give your reader what they're looking for? Line editing. After that, ask the question, is this the best way to say it? And then copy editing is simply, are there any mistakes that are still left in the content that will stop people from reading it? like typos or mistakes or attributed quotes or quotes that should be attributed to the source but weren't little things like that so it's better to in my experience with my clients and i say when i say better i mean easier it's easier to hire a ghostwriter to take care of all of the above than to hire a developmental editor and a line editor, and a copy editor, and a a proofreader. It's just easier to simply hire the ghostwriter to take care of all of the above. All of the above. And they do. And they do. Or should I say, we do. But really, it's about knowing what it is that your manuscript or your speech or your article
1: needs, and then assigning it. So you you kind of gave it away a little bit there, but this is also a scalable enterprise because it becomes your brand, your reputation, your marketing that brings in the next client, the next lead, what have you. But at the same time, the skill set, while you may be uh, the the most well-developed skill set from having done this for 10 years, it is not something that is so unteachable that you couldn't bring in other writers to help scale this process. Am I hearing that correctly?
0: That's right. That's right. It, It doesn't necessarily make sense to as the author to back away and say, you know, I got to pretend I wrote this whole thing myself or say, Oh gee, I better make sure no one finds out that I work with the ghostwriter or go over the top and say, I will not work with a ghostwriter. I will do all of it myself for ghostwriting clients. You can expect to work with a ghostwriter on your book about two hours a week maximum. But if you're doing it yourself, 10 15, 20 hours a week writing your book, it becomes a massive difference. And that's why I said earlier, Aaron, most of my clients, most ghostwriting clients, period, they could write the book themselves. That's the kicker, but they don't have the time. They don't have 20 hours a week, but they have two hours to look over what the ghostwriter created and say, eh, change this, change this, change this. Let's move this around. Let's put this up here. Instead, I want to add this story. We're good to go. You know, so funny enough, Aaron, most ghost, most ghostwriters work for clients who could do it themselves, but don't because they've, uh, they've wisened up in the same way that a lot of small business owners or mid-sized business owners, they end up hiring a bookkeeper or an accountant or a tax accountant or a tax specialist. They don't actually need as in, oh, I could run my profit and loss statement by myself. Oh, I could figure out how to do my taxes myself. But they know that their time is worth more than that. And so they delegate it to an expert.
1: That makes sense. So tell me about this connection between writing the book. You referenced the client, wrote the book, million dollars in uh, business, I can't remember if you said online courses or or consulting, for that one in particular, but that is a very kind of tried and true model here, which is, okay, you know, if it's a a 15, a 20, a $25 book and, you know, I I actually know some folks that have have made it onto Wall Street Journal bestsellers and we're talking about thousands of books, maybe over 10,000 books sold. The the ugly truth is it's, it's not getting actually distributed to that many people. And then whatever percentage of them actually complete reading of it, is even fewer, right? So the the gateway to this being a really lucrative endeavor is because usually of the adjacencies, unless you're like the Malcolm Gladwell, Michael Lewis, you know, top, you know, yeah. tippy top of the heap, it is not the actual sale of the book itself that most authors are using to monetize. Is that correct? Correct. And, the, and in my experience, it doesn't need to
0: be. Let's run the numbers. I call it the book revenue pyramid. Imagine you have a thousand people who buy your book. And let's say you independently publish, so you make five bucks a copy. Okay, five times a thousand, five thousand. Not a lot to write home about. Not a lot to write home about. But, but within your book, you mention to the readers that there is a community where they can learn more about teaming up with other people just like them and implementing the advice in the book, experiencing the same phenomena or overcoming the same challenges, walking through the same process, going on the same journey. And maybe that that program is a hundred bucks and 500 people who bought the book, half of the people who bought the book decided they're going to sign up for that. Okay. So you went from $5,000 in revenue to $10,000 in revenue from the same group of customers. Okay. So now you have 500 people who are in this special group. Within the group, they are then offered this opportunity to have a special cohort where they work directly with the author, the Creator for a thousand dollars a month for three months. That's the experience. And out of the 500, a hundred of them say, Yes, I'm totally down. With this. I'm going to do it. So now you go from 3,000 times a hundred is what? $300,000. And the thing is, Aaron, we're still talking about people who just bought the book. So you have this experience where you're going from the 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 low-priced mini to the high-ticket few imagine it's like and that's why I call I call it, I call it a pyramid each level of this step pyramid the sphere of people who purchase the next thing up but the next thing up is so much more expensive than what came before so you're going from you know a, a $5 book to $100 group program to a $3,000 program. And then, which is most common, the highest ticket service is 10,000, is 25,000. It's even, in one of my client's cases, $120,000 is her highest ticket service. And she has 10 of those per year that she has. And so all she has to do is sell is get one person who has bought the book to then go from buying the book to hiring her for a high ticket service. And so the objective then is to write a book that pre-handles the objections to the high ticket sale. It primes them to do business with the author directly and and It teaches the unique way you approach the problem or the topic or the issue so that it feels like to the reader, there's no one who understands their problem more, more. And when I mentioned to you the million dollar author, his name's Andy, that was exactly his situation. He had the $14 paperback book. And then he had, I believe it was a $197 program. And then he had a $5,000 coaching program. And then he had a $5,000 a month service. Service. And so each person that he sells the book to can potentially go from 14 bucks to 200 bucks to 5,000 bucks to 5,000 bucks a month or 60K a year. And so the math, the
1: math, it just checks out
0: all of my clients fit the description I just gave in the past couple of minutes.
1: And they come to you with that already, or you're also pushing them to develop those things if they don't already have them in place.
0: Usually the latter where they come to me and say, Josh, I want to, I want to be the person I want to be the go-to expert in my niche. Like, you know, I have an ebook already or I have a course or I work with clients one-on-one but there's something big that's missing. And in their case, the big is essentially a foundation of literally hundreds or thousands of people who will pay them minimum five, 10, $15 for their book. And out of that sum of customers, there will be people who pay them a heck of a lot more than that. And I've seen that even with my courses. For example, Aaron, I I have a $9 course I have a $99 course, I have a $199 course, (laughs) and then I have a a $20,000 service, and then a a $50,000 service, and a $100,000 service. And guess what? There are plenty of people who pay me the highest level service fee who first bought my $9 program.
1: That's crazy. So what I was thinking about as you were walking me through that is, frankly, I, I think there's a whole content vertical to be made about this idea, yes. which is just around the concept of leveling up your deals. And I have this recollection, this is like two years ago, I was talking about the agency that I run and how most of our deals are in the four or the low five-figure range. And at that point in time, I said that to this audience of people, many in kind of like the most nascent stages, and I saw these eyebrows go up and it clicked for me that For certain folks, that was the threshold. And there's other people, maybe even listen to this now, where they only operate in six or seven or eight figure deals. And maybe they remember being that down low or they skipped, they jumped up to one of those higher levels. And I think that it's exceptionally powerful for people to understand the on-ramps up and down those different pricing tiers. Because I can remember viscerally getting started when those different levels, it was so opaque. How how could someone ever sell a service for $25,000? How could someone ever conceive of A consulting package worth 150. And I I start to kind of have the outlines of that, but it's, it's, I think, you know, in the same way that you've gotten these reps of these different archetypes that you can uh, portray the voice of and, and, and occupy as a ghostwriter for, I think it's a similar thing where the more reps that you can get at what a deal at a certain price takes and entails and how it's sometimes different, and sometimes, frankly, exactly the same. It's just the amount of money that you're asking for at the end. Um, I think that that's exceptionally important for people to wrap their minds around.
0: Yes. Yes. The way that I like to think about it is the jobs to be done theory. JTBD. I didn't come up with jobs to be done theory. I first read about it in Harvard Business Review. Fellow named Anthony Ulwick wrote the jobs to be done. Pitch, I guess you could say would be the, probably the the best way, to, best way to put it. It goes like this. Customers or clients buy tools to get jobs done. They choose the tool that they perceive is going to do the best job at getting all their jobs done or as many jobs done as possible. As possible. Give me an example of this. Who would pay $50,000 to have a book ghostwritten? That's a lot of money. Well, let's think about the jobs that are being done there. Okay, so a book is being produced. That's a job. That's kind of the meta job, right? But what else is part of that? Well, there's a hardcover book, softcover book, digital book. Oh, audiobook. Oh, audiobook. 50%. Of all best sellers, it's the audio edition of the book that's been sold. So that effectively doubles the audience just by having an audio book. So having your brand, your business in front of Amazon, Audible, the world, who's going to be searching for your book anyway, that's one job to be done. Putting your business at a $9 level in front of the mass market. That's one job. Second job, having people who've bought the book become clients. It's much easier to sell a repeat customer, even if they pay only $9, than sell a first-time customer.
1: And you referenced the Influence Cialdini book. That's like one of the big things in there is if you can get them to just say yes once, if you can get them to just buy once, all the subsequent ones are substantially easier. Sorry to catch you off.
0: That's perfect. So that's another job, by the way. Another job is, holy cow, I have a book. I am the expert on this topic. I literally wrote the book on my subject matter. There is clearly no one who is as much of an expert as I am. Okay, that's another job that's just been completed. Another job would be um, (laughs) taking all of my expertise and packaging it into a book. So the process of turning everything I've got so far into a book, that's another job to be done. There's so many jobs. And I don't literally mean like an eight to five job here. I mean, I mean, tasks, I mean high value tasks that are being accomplished here as part of the process. It ultimately becomes a deal to only pay $50,000 to get all of these jobs done all at once, all at once. And so my clients who pay for a service at that level, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer because they understand exactly what hiring a ghostwriter actually means. It means getting all of these things done all at once for their business, which they would have had to try to do all separately, all separately, but they don't have to now.
1: So... You've referenced independent publishing, but a lot of the books that grace the bestseller charts are from traditional publishing houses. What kind of coaching or advice do you give to the clients that you work with on those two routes and what's right for whom?
0: Yeah, yeah. It only makes sense for people who have a massive audience already to pursue the traditional publishing path. By massive audience, I really mean... 50,000 customers on their list. Not subscribers, Aaron, but customers on their list. Or, hey, I get 10,000 visitors a month on my blog. Or, hey, I have 138,000 followers on Twitter, and I'm verified. That level of author, aspiring author, I should say, that's when it makes sense. Because from the publishing industry's perspective, they wanna work with authors that they don't need. Meaning, the author doesn't need Simon & Schuster to make a lot of money off of their book. The author could simply say, hey, I'm releasing a book next month. You'd like to buy it? And they could sell 10,000 copies. In fact, I had an author, she sold 30,000 copies of her book in six months after release. Wow. She was approached by Penguin Random House, Aaron. They said, hey, we'd like to buy the rights to your book guess what happened? She said no. (laughs) It was so much more profitable to keep her book an independently published product than say, hey, okay, I'll sell the rights to Penguin Random House. Now, for a lot of authors, that would be an extraordinary credibility trigger to be able to say, hey, my book was published by Penguin Random House, you know, or by Simon & Schuster, ha, ha, ha. But not everyone needs that level of credibility. Some people already have that. Or to their audience, they're already seen as the go-to expert. So they don't need that traditional publishing path in order to prove themselves as the real deal. And that's okay, that's okay. So it's, it's, it, really, it really is different for everyone, Aaron. It really is different for everyone.
1: It's, it's almost paradoxical though, that the, the ones that they want are the ones that don't need it and vice versa.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The publisher wants to be able to look at you and say, okay, can you make us a crap ton of money? If you can't, we don't want you. If you can, meaning you don't actually need us because you already have a massive audience. Okay. That's when we want you, but for the right person, that relationship, that trade-off is going to be significant and not because of the money that's involved. It's because of the reach because of a Let's say the book publicists who work for Simon & Schuster, they will be able to get you booked on all of these networks, on all these podcasts, on all of these shows where you get to talk about your business. It's not even about the book at that point. It's about selling your products and services on, oh, I don't know, Good Morning America, or being on The Doctors or Dr. Oz or whatever evening show, for example, to talk about your book. So it's not even about selling copies of the book for you, the author, at that point. It's being able to talk about your business and 10xing the traffic that's coming to your website the day that that episode comes out or that interview comes out. That's what it's about. So it's 10xing the revenue that happens on your blog or from your online store The day the interview goes live, (laughs) screw the book, (laughs) screw the book. It's not even about that at that point. It was the book that enabled you to get on the show is because it was the book. The book was published by a traditional publisher. So you can see, Aaron, at this point, it only makes sense for a certain type of author to pursue a traditional publishing deal. But for that certain type of author, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense.
1: Right on. Well, Josh, this has been endlessly fascinating. I, I feel like I'm going to have to get you back on because I feel like we could fill another hour easily with uh, stories and strategies and all that good stuff. But uh, I need to be respectful of your time and uh, aim towards wrapping up here. Before we ask the standard last two questions, anything you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? You were effective as a host, as a question asker, Aaron. So I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I want people to check out all the stuff that you're working on. And in particular, before you do, I'm just going to make the pitch. Go follow uh, Joshua on, on Twitter here because it is entertaining, uh, opinionated, and differentiated the most of the stuff that I find there. But uh, what digital coordinates can we point people towards if they want to learn more?
0: Yeah. Aside from at Joshua Lysak on Twitter, it's my YouTube channel. I'm coming up on 100, uh, not 100. That'd be great. A thousand subscribers on on YouTube. Um, I get about half of my business comes directly from YouTube, and it's because I target keywords that are related to book writing and book publishing and book marketing and book launching and book editing and all these topics that a lot of people care a lot about. So if that's describing you pretty well, check out Joshua Lysek on YouTube.
1: Nice. We just hit a thousand subs in. I want to say October of last year. And there, like I, it's, it's immediately apparent in the data. There is a step change in your reach in your general engagement. Once you hit that number. And I hear the same is true for, for 10,000. So uh, hopefully this will help catapult you there and eventually onwards and upwards in the future. But uh, we're going to link all that in the show notes for this episode. It is available in the podcast app you're listening to this uh, in the description below the YouTube video or, on our website goingdeepwithairn.com slash podcast for this and every single episode of the show. Uh, But Joshua, before I let you go, I wanna give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the
0: audience. My challenge is to not write a crappy book. Okay, I'm kind of kidding, kind of kidding. Um, Everyone who's listening right now, you're thinking about creating something or building something or launching something or selling something run it through jobs to be done theory. Meaning, how can you communicate in direct, simplistic terms, exactly what jobs your book or your course or your service gets done for your clients? Meaning, there are already things they wanna get accomplished in their life, in their business, And it just so happens that you've got a tool that enables them to get that done well and get that done quickly. So with what you're building, make it stupid, simple to understand exactly what you're going to help them do with your offer. That's my challenge to you.
1: And. One of my other good friends, Mike, uh, talks about jobs to be done a lot as well. And the analogy that he used, that it, it, and to me, it's also, it's an empathy engine, right? Like you, you're, you're, you're doing this yeah. exercise so that you can be more empathetic to this person that you want to transact with, serve, whatever the, the methodology is. And he says, you know, why does someone go into Home Depot for a hammer and nail or a screw gun? It's like, well, they want to put something into the wall. They want a hole in the wall. So no, they they want that hole in the wall so that they can hang a picture frame. But no, they don't even necessarily want that. They want to have easy access to the memory of their family vacation in eyesight. That is what you are assisting them in doing. And if you can take it down to whatever that, that core job to be done is, then it's gonna make the sale of whatever widget significantly easier. And so I think that is, you know, you, you could mine that framework for tons and tons of value all the way, but this has been a, a value-filled conver- conversation, Joshua. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to be on the show and share your wisdom with us uh, and, and talk with me today.
0: It's been my pleasure, Aaron. Thank you for me on.
1: Appreciate it. We just went deep with Joshua Lysik Everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my interview with Joshua. If you enjoyed this conversation, then I know that you will enjoy a number of our past episodes. I've linked a few in the show notes, but if you go back through our back catalog, I'm sure that you will find many that will be appealing to you. If you are struggling with how many episodes that we have because we are over 450, which is crazy, then feel free to reach out to me personally. You can either message me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, Or text me at 412-278-7680, and I will make you a personal recommendation. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.